The 2022 NFL Draft is just one month away. Who might the Seahawks pick in the first three rounds? Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking down all the latest mock drafts out there on Mock Draft Monday here on Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Hope everybody had a great weekend. It's Mock Draft Monday. We're going to be diving into some of the latest mock drafts out there and see who the Seahawks are going to be picking in the first, second, or even third round. We'll be looking at a few single-round mock drafts as well as a couple two- and three-round mock drafts on today's episode. And we're going to be breaking down which areas, which positions are the greatest area of need for the Seahawks still heading towards next month's draft as free agency continues? Jam-packed episode coming your way. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. There's certainly been a lot in the news the last couple of days, but Rob, I think we'd be remiss not to mention what came out earlier this weekend. Legendary reporter John Clayton, a good friend of both of ours, a colleague, a peer, passed away at the hospital, had been battling an illness, and it was really surprising news. I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, and so... The you know when the news came, I was like, man, I mean, I just spoke with him. This can't be real. And so I wanted to have the opportunity. It's never easy to talk about these type of situations, but you and I were talking about it before the show. I, I think that we'd be remiss not to dedicate a segment to John Clayton, who really was one of the pioneers of NFL reporting and a one-of-a-kind man. He really was, Corbin. I mean, that's the thing, is that um... – I think that it is uh, appropriate, considering that we cover the Seattle Seahawks and everything that John Clayton did to putting Seattle on the map. Um, I, I think that it is appropriate to to take this uh, first segment of our show here on the Monday, uh, you know, after he passed away on this this past Friday, and of course we did not have an opportunity to record in between there, um, you know, John Clayton. I mean, it's, it's almost, and I I mean, no disrespect by saying this. It's almost appropriate that his initials are JC because he was a god to so many uh, of the, the the people who follow the NFL, the people who are sports reporters, regardless of the sport. Um, the the way that he was both the man, I mean, he was as recognizable as anybody, um, and, and yet still was as humble and as easygoing and just a guy. Uh, you know, in terms of the conversations, the, the way that he made everybody feel like like they were just as important, uh, that they were just as popular as he was. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times that I had the opportunity to to see him on a golf course, in a restaurant, in a bar, and, and he just was as easygoing and chill. And people would walk up to him and just interrupt him 
and, and want to have a picture taken with him or whatever. And he was always so kind and and self-deprecating. I mean, made made jokes about himself. We all we all know the the fa- the the famous ESPN commercial, you know. And, and but that that's actually how he was. I mean, I, I had an opportunity years ago. Mike Mike Sando, who wrote an incredibly beautiful letter. Um, as a bit of a eulogy for the Pro Football Writers Association, um, he was one of the first people to kind of, you know, in- ingratiate me a little bit with, with John Clayton and, and just said that, like, hey, Rob's a good guy, John's a good guy. And I was like, John is, is so much bigger and, and so much more well-known th- than I am. And then I got an opportunity to actually play a little bit of golf and things with him. And, and John would... John was not the greatest golfer, and I am probably the second worst golfer that anybody has ever met. John Clayton may have been the worst golfer that anybody has ever met, and and yet he would tease himself and have fun with it, and and that was, that is John to his essence it is that he was out there having fun and you know and, and doing the things that that he enjoyed which of course was football i mean everybody knows his brain Every, everybody ha- has seen him on his tv segments has seen him on the radio both at 950 kjr 710 espn um, you know he was he, he just defied description in, in so many different ways and so yeah, I. Th- this is, uh, you know, it's a national morning. It's very similar to with, with John Madden, and unfortunately, just a couple of months before, we are talking about two of the absolute legends of the game, um, legends of, of sports reporting, and, and yeah, it, it breaks my heart because everything that he was as a reporter, he was even more as a man, um, and um, I, I just, it, it is difficult to talk about. Because when you have that kind of respect, it doesn't matter how poetic that you are, how how well-meaning that you are, you can't ever really say it as much as you want to. And all I know is that I I, I thought that John was uh, everything that we all aspire to be and that we will all remember him, remember him very, very fondly. He was so aptly nicknamed the professor with his spreadsheets and how meticulous he was and, and reading all the stories. I mean, there were things I didn't even know about him that have come out the last couple of days about him staying up till like five in the morning, trying to make phone calls to people in front offices and, you know, people that are just working in the general office. I mean, anything he could do to get his hands on injury reports. I mean, that's why he was the greatest because nobody outworked him. And yet he always knew when the time was to take the foot off the pedal and, it's about family. It's time to take time away from work. And that's something that I know is difficult for me to do with my two jobs that I have, especially during the season. But he always knew when to draw that line. Hey, I've worked my tail off all day. 10 o'clock was that boundary. It is time for me to spend some time with my wife and the care that he has provided his wife, Pat, over the years, who has MS. Um, and just it's remarkable what he's been able to do and the love that he has for his wife. And so uh, I've shared some stories already on my Seahawk website, and I've also shared a video here uh, on YouTube looking back at some of my memories with John Clayton. But, uh, you know, I, I just always remember as a little kid, and you mentioned John Madden, Madden and Clayton, those were the two guys I'd go in my basement. This was when I was like eight or nine years old, and I would throw a Nerf football to myself. And I would pretend that I was John Madden commentating the game. And then when I got tired because I'd been running around the basement for 20 minutes in a row and I was exhausted, then I'd be like, 
let's send it to the sidelines. John Clayton with a report. And I'd always finish it off with that catchphrase. Hey, mom, I'm done with my segments. And <laughs> that was something that happened all the time. And so he and Madden, those were my two idols. And thanks in large part to you, I was able to actually meet John Clayton. I might have never met him without you making that connection. And so uh, I was blessed to be able to speak with him a few times. And, and just the fact that I actively was trying to talk to him about backup quarterbacks after a preseason game and his face lit up like, it was Christmas. I mean, that's the kind of reporter that we were talking about in John Clayton, just an incredible man, even better human being and um, thoughts and prayers with his family during this extremely difficult time. And of course, all the people that have been impacted by him and his incredible work over the years. Yeah, no, no question about it. You know, and, and again, I, I just have so many stories with John and, and, and not all of them are actually appropriate for, for our show. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, John, John was, John was a fun guy. Um, you know, I mean, he had a lot of fun and, and I, I have so many great memories of him at the combine um, where, where he would kind of, you know, and John was, you know, a, a smaller guy and, and he would kind of, you know, push himself up to the, the front of the room when, when we were evaluating and interviewing different prospects at the combine and things like that. And it was amazing because John was in, encyclopedic when it came to his knowledge of the current NFL players. But, you know, every uh, January, he, you know, there'd be this whole new list of, of players, um, you know, that were coming into the NFL draft. And between January and February, it was kind of his mission to be able to understand uh, you know, these players and get to know them a little bit. And he would ask very intelligent questions uh, about some of the guys who were coming into that next year's draft class. And it was just fascinating to, to see, you know, some of the most famous college football players who would recognize him in the first row. And, and basically, you know, they would answer his questions because he is John Clayton, damn it. You know, you have to recognize. And, and so he would get to be able to answer you know, ask these types of questions. And, um, you know, we, we'd go to dinner in some of the different hotspots that, that were in Indianapolis. Um, you know, one time he caught me too early on a morning where I had been out a little bit too late that night. And and <laughs> I'll never forget it. He, he just said, you know, he's like, he said, Rob, you look like you're having a rangover rather than a hangover. And believe me, that, that term has gone through my brain so many times over the years. And, and my, my very first memory actually kind of going way, way, way back when, when the Seattle Seahawks were, you know, going to Eastern Washington University, they had their training camps back in Cheney, Washington. The very first time I had an opportunity to meet uh, John Clayton was, was actually when I, I saw him leaving practice and I was all excited. I, I just said, hey, you know, we're, I'm, I'm walking down this way. Can I walk with you? And he actually needed a ride. And so I asked him, hey, would you, you want to hop in my truck? And here I am as a college kid. I had literally spent the night there sleeping outside of Seattle's practice facility. And John Clayton hops in my truck and I got to tell him, hey, you know, someday I want to be just like you, sir. I, I want to be able to evaluate prospects and talk to the head coaches and general managers. And for him to basically just acknowledge me, to jump in my car with me, have a conversation. You know, he didn't know me at that point. As I mentioned before, Mike Sando is who really kind of 
laid the foundation for me to be able to get to know John on a personal level as, as a professional sports writer. But at that time, he didn't know me and yet still took the time to say, hey, you know, I if this is something that you love, then this can be a really, uh, you know, a, an unbelievable type of, of job if you're willing to put in the time. So from the very, very beginning, he really was an inspiration to me, not just because of what he was doing on TV and radio, but because he made that kind of personal investment in me um, and just having that conversation. And, and tragically, and I, and I say this with a, you know, um, wistfully, the very last time I saw John was this past year. Uh, he, Pat, and many other members of the Tacoma News Tribune were highlighted uh, many past member, past and current members of the Tacoma News Tribune were, were highlighted uh, at the Tacoma Dome when they were highlighting some of the, the Hall of Fame members of the, the Pierce County and Tacoma Athletic Hall of Fame. The Tacoma News Tribune um, and, and so many members, Sando, uh, Eric Williams, uh, Todd Millis, uh, Greg Bell, so many members of the Seattle or the Tacoma news tribune sports scene were highlighted that day and to see john and, and pat there was amazing and i just wish that i would have taken more time to spot to speak with, with john and, and pat that that night because unfortunately that was the last time that i saw john in person but to see him up on that stage telling stories the way john did accepting the awards next to pat um, was truly one of the, the great memories. And to me, that, that, is, that is the one thing I will kind of take from all of this is that as sad as this moment is, I, I do love that I got to see that smile, that, that charisma um, you know, up on that stage and, and him accepting awards uh, on, again, on behalf of his wife, on behalf of Tacoma News Tribune, on behalf of the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, was, was absolutely a magical moment, something I'll never forget. Just a spectacular human being, incredible reporter, and he's going to be—he's going to be greatly missed, not just in the Seattle sports scene, but the worldwide sports scene. Ironic, I'm saying that since he really made his mark at ESPN over the years. One of the foundational pieces of ESPN. Again, our thoughts and prayers with his wife Pat, the rest of his family, and everyone else like us, Rob, that was impacted so tremendously by John Clayton. We're going to move forward now in our show coming up in the second quarter. We're going to be taking a look at the latest mock drafts to come out. Drafts actually a little over a month away. It's going to be here before we know it. We're going to be taking a look at a few big mock drafts from CBS as well as Pro Football Network, the Draft Network, and a couple of others here in just a moment. This is the time of year that I've pretty much given up on all my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right Thanks to Built Bar, it almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I actually enjoy eating them. In fact, it's an addiction. I probably eat more of them than I need to. If you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs, you need to. You are missing out. They are one of the best Built Bars on the market. Puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy. They're marshmallowy. Not just a protein bar. They're a treat. And they're covered in 100% real chocolate, a ton of great flavors, coconut marshmallow, my personal favorite, banana cream pie. These are going to be your new favorites. All Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate, and they're low-calorie, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein in most of their bars. They have delicious flavors in their regular Built Bars as well, coconut, coconut almond, peanut butter, brownie, and they're coming out with new flavors all the time. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCK15 to get 50% off your order. That's LOCK15 for 15% off 
at built.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for Mock Draft Monday, my co-host, Rob Rang. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast, streaming five days a week on YouTube. Tons of insight and analysis from experts covering all 32 teams five days a week. So check out YouTube, free to watch. You can also download the Locked On NFL podcast on all major podcast platforms all right let's get to mock draft monday here rob as we've been doing each and every week investigating some of the mock drafts that are out there and with free agency now being a week in the books there were a ton of sites that kicked out new mock drafts now that teams have had a chance to start addressing some of their needs with veteran players including the seahawks let's get to our first one here and this is from the draft network and this was only a one rounder i found a lot of the mock drafts this weekend were one round variety but this is a player that I know a lot of Seahawks fans have been begging for them to take at number nine. Been a very popular pick out there in, in terms of discussion boards and on Twitter, Facebook, your social media platforms. At number nine, the Seattle Seahawks taking Ahmad Sauce Gardner, who really looks like your prototypical Seahawk, more of a zone-oriented corner, big body, long arms, and was a shutdown corner for the Bearcats throughout his collegiate career. You know, he, he looks like a zone corner. He, he played an awful lot of man at Cincinnati. He has the length. He has the speed um, to play just about anywhere that you want him. I, I think that he has to be in the mix. And, and I say that with a little bit of caution because, of course, we know that the Seahawks have not invested early draft picks at the cornerback position. And this is Pete Carroll we're talking about. And he cut his teeth in the NFL. I am coaching just in general uh, from being a secondary coach. So to invest this early of a draft pick in a corner would surprise me. But at the same time, I, I do think that Ahmad Carroll or excuse me, Ahmad Gardner is absolutely worthy of the number nine overall selection. I do think that the most likely scenario has Seattle taking an edge rusher, perhaps even rolling the dice on a quarterback, not a cornerback. But Again, I do believe that Gardner is absolutely among the top nine prospects in this draft. I do think that, that John Schneider will consider staying at number nine overall and just selecting that player because they're going to want some significant, immediate bang for their buck for the flashiest uh, draft selection that they received in the trade for Russell Wilson. So I, I do think that this is a, a, a an absolute possibility, and I do believe that Gardner is, again, worthy of that consideration. I think this kid's going to be an absolute superstar at the next level, and he does fit in with what Seattle has looked to do both in the past and in the present because there is not many guys who are built like Gardner, have his length, his physicality, and definitely his speed and agility. Um, I think this guy's going to be a stud. And I think that, you know, yeah, obviously the Seahawks have not taken a corner earlier than the third round, but they have not had a top 10 pick since the first year that John Schneider and Pete Carroll were here in Seattle. And they used that in an offensive lineman, Russell Okung. They got Earl Thomas with their other first round pick. They have not had an opportunity to pick this early where they could get a blue chip corner. So I, I think that this is certainly a situation if Gardner's there that, I think personally he is the best corner of this class. There's some that look at Derek Stingley from LSU, who's a very good player in his own right. But to me, Gardner's the best corner in this class. If he's there at number nine, he absolutely has to be on the Seahawks shortlist. And it feels like he's a player that 
could become a superstar in Seattle with their scheme. And he has ran more man, I think, than some draft analysts have have put down in their scouting reports. So I think he can fit into any system. I think he'd be great in Seattle system, has the quickness, the speed, the ball skills, plays with the physicality. He'll come up and he'll tackle you. I mean, he is the complete package. And so at number nine, I think he would make a lot of sense. Looking at our next mock draft here, this one was a three-rounder or a two-rounder from CBS Sports. At number nine, a player we have talked about extensively on here because in case you've been hiding under a rock, the Seahawks do need to replace Russell Wilson, and they could draft a quarterback this year. And one of the popular names, we mock-drafted him on Friday. Nick Lee and I did. Malik Willis from Liberty at number nine. And then the two second-round picks, Trevor Penning. Most people are viewing him as a first-rounder, but in this particular mock, goes to the Seahawks at number 40. And number 41, I have back-to-back picks. Quay Walker, a linebacker from Georgia, a player that I've viewed as kind of a sleeper in this draft, in part because Georgia has so many studs on defense that he's got overlooked. But I do think Quay Walker could be a player that gets picked in the middle of the second round. All three of these guys have been getting some first and second round buzz in this draft. The big question is, is Malik Willis going to be worth it at number nine? We traded down and then drafted him in our mock draft. I don't know about number nine just because he's so raw and there's a lot of boomer bust potential there. No, you're absolutely right. He is raw. There is a lot of boomer bust potential. But at the same time, if if the Seahawks are committed to taking a rookie quarterback this year, then why not draft the guy that if you do hit on him, you are talking about a, a Josh Allen, a Lamar Jackson, even a Patrick Mahomes type of difference maker. Uh, you know, I, I, I've had to, I, I've watched a, a great deal of tape on Malik Willis at this point. I mean, I, be, I bet you I'm six games into his 2021 season. I have every single snap that he took at the Senior Bowl on my cell phone, uh, sitting up there in the stands and, and just recording every single snap, Corbin. And I am telling you, this is easily the most physically gifted quarterback in this draft class. Now, the offense that he was asked to run at Liberty with the head coach, Hugh Freeze, is basically a half-the-field type of an offense. And so that's the conversation that, uh, that, that Pete Carroll, John Schneider, Shane Waldron have to have with themselves. Is, is this guy going to embarrass you? Because he doesn't truly understand all of the different intricacies that you would expect from an NFL quarterback. Not yet. And, and so you are quite possibly talking about basically giving him a red shirt year. He is going to make splashy plays in the preseason. He is going to push a team to consider playing him early. And it's not that he's not intelligent. This young man is intelligent. I was impressed by his interview at the combine. I just don't believe that he is quite ready to come into the NFL. And so do you invest the number nine overall selection? That's a huge, huge conversation, especially when you're going from Russell Wilson to a guy like this. So I, I think that this is something, obviously, Corbin, you and I are going to be talking about many, many more times moving forward. But I do think that Malik Willis is absolutely in play for Seattle at number nine. He would not be my selection. I talked about before. I would go with the pass rusher. But at the same time, you tell me the Seahawks are able to check off the box and get the most physically gifted quarterback in this draft class, number nine, get their offensive tackle in the future, Trevor Penny, number 41, get themselves a pass rusher in Quay Walker, excuse me, uh, Penny at 40, and the pass rusher Quay Walker at 41. That is a home run type of a draft if that actually is how it stands. 
I just am not sure that any of those players are available at 9, 40, and 41. That, to me, would be my biggest uh, conversation about that particular mock draft. Yeah, Quay Walker is a linebacker that seems to be moving up draft boards. He didn't get to play very many snaps his first three years at Georgia because look at the linebackers that have come out of there. Every year they have two or three linebackers that are getting drafted, and usually it's pretty early. And so he's had to wait in line, finally get his opportunity for the national champion. Georgia Bulldogs last year had a really solid season. And I like him because of the positional versatility. He's got enough size that I think he could play one of those overhang linebacker positions in three, four looks for the Seahawks. But he's also got the athleticism and the football IQ to play as an off-ball linebacker. I think that's where he ultimately would be if the Seahawks took him. Channing Tindall is the other Georgia linebacker that I really like. Both those guys, I think, you could plug into Bobby Wagner's spot next to Jordan Brooks. And I think those guys could play pretty quickly for you on Seattle's defense. I am not as high at this point on Trevor Penning as a lot of people. I have watched a few of his FCS games and he was absolutely dominant, but the games against FBS competition left a lot to be desired. Now I can see the the nastiness. I can see the physicality when he gets his hands on guys, he's a finisher and he plays with a mean streak. I love that about it. What concerns me is, as athletic as he is, I don't see that translating on the film when they're playing better competition. When Northern Iowa was stepping up and playing FBS teams, it just seemed like he wasn't taking very good angles. His footwork was sloppy. He got caught lunging way too often for my liking. Now, maybe those are things that can quickly get taken out of his game, and he can end up being a franchise left tackle but I have my reservations in the first round. Maybe a pick 40 would make sense because he does have a lot of really intriguing qualities. I just don't know that I would use a first round pick on him. And I know a lot of draft experts disagree. I've seen a lot of them where he's in the top 10. We have one mock draft from PFF where they pick him at number nine, the Seahawks that is on our countdown here. I just don't know that I see that same player on film. Agree. I think nine is, is pretty rich. Um, I, I think that there are two tackles who are worthy of top nine consideration. And I, I think that they're going to be long off the board. Evan Neal from Alabama, Eka McGuano from North Carolina State. I think that, you know, up until the last couple of weeks or so, they were very much in consideration number one overall until the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, decide to, you know, franchise Cam Robinson for the second consecutive year. Um, so I don't believe necessarily that either one of those two tackles falls into Seattle's lap again. I think that pass rusher is easily the most likely scenario that Seattle goes at number nine overall. But I, I am intrigued by Penny for exactly the same reasons that you just mentioned. I mean, that physicality at 6'7", 325 pounds, running in the high four eights. I mean, this is a freakish talent. Um, and Seattle obviously is, at least at this point, it appears they're very much going into a rebuild type of a move. Um, you know, I, I think that Andy Dickerson, would be really excited to work with a guy like Penning. But at the same time, at number nine overall seems rich. At number 40 or 41 overall seems unlikely that he is going to fall that far. So I think it's going to be interesting. To me, he's a very good trade back possibility. Um, I would be surprised at nine or 40 uh, or 41 overall. Let's look at one last one here real quick before we move on to our next segment here. USA Today, Nate Davis, and I know Seahawks fans will always remember him for picking them to win four games a few years ago when they made the postseason. So he's infamous in the Pacific Northwest for that projection. I know that he has uh, given himself some self-depreciation for that. He's had some fun with it over the years. But 
His mock drafts, he's actually hit on a couple of Seahawks picks in the past, so not a lot of guys can say that. He has Kayvon Thibodeau falling all the way to pick number nine to the Seahawks. And this is a guy that for most of the draft process has been viewed as a contender to be the number one overall pick for the Jaguars. I don't see any way that he falls to number nine, but there always is a guy or two that has top five projections that ends up slipping. And I would think if Thibodeau falls that Pete Carroll and John Schneider are going to be jumping for joy in the draft room because this is a guy with off-the-charts athleticism that can come in and immediately be a game wrecker for you off the edge. There certainly are some technical things that need to be refined, but again, in terms of pure athleticism and pass rushing, pass rushing ability, this would be a really fun prospect if he fell into Seattle's lap at number nine. There's no way they're going any other direction if he's there at that point in the draft. I, I agree with you. I mean, Kayvon is a really, really talented player. I mean, he, he's been very much in my top two. He and Aiden Hutchinson have been one-two all, all year long. They are the two best football players in the country, in my opinion, and that I expect them to both be top five selections. And I think that, that Kayvon is absolutely still in play to be the number one overall selection. To me, I, I see a guy that has uh, some of the same type of traits as Jadavion Clowney and Avon Miller, that he does have that burst straight up field, um, has the bend to be able to be that pass, which he also has the power that uh, the Clowney possesses. And you don't see that at guys who are 6'5", 250 pounds, but he, when he locks guys out, he is really really effective in the running game. I think if 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 Kayvon was playing at Ohio State or Michigan or Alabama or Georgia, it would be a slam dunk top two selection. The fact they played the University of Oregon, and there's a lot of people out there who don't watch much Pac-12 football, that's one of the biggest reasons why people are questioning him. At the same time, there are some concerns about him. I mean, he did kind of shut it down at times. He was pretty up and down. But I'm telling you, in, in terms of raw talent, which is what John Schneider and Pete Carroll have always prioritized, then he absolutely is among the top nine overall selections in terms of raw talent. So, yeah, if he was there, I think that he would be on Seattle's very, very short list, quite possibly the selection. But but don't give my, di- my guy Nate Davis too much flack out there. He is very good at what he does, um, and he is just looking from a little bit more of a national perspective rather than just a Seattle perspective. So I, I do think that uh, that Nate has gotten many more things right over the years than wrong. Um, and, and so, again, I while I don't necessarily expect that Kayvon's going to fall all the way down to number nine, I do think that he is absolutely a locked top ten selection and, uh, and that he would be among the players that Seattle would be strongly considering if he were available to them, surprisingly, as, as it would be. We're one week into free agency. A lot of players have signed. There are a lot of players that we thought would be signed by now that are still available on the market. So here in a moment, Rob, you and I are going to be taking a look at which positions are most critical for the Seahawks to address before we get to next month's draft in Las Vegas. It's that time of year again as college basketball's term is finally upon us. For all the latest odds, contests, and player props, BetOnline.net is the number one source for all of your sports betting needs and info. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting wagering informational needs, including live betting in your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. 
You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host, Rob Rang. Happy Monday to all of our listeners. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. It's time to shift away from draft talk back to free agency. The Seahawks made a few moves this weekend. Rashad Penny re-signing on a one-year deal. They were also able to bring back Quentin Jefferson, who's had two previous stints with the Seahawks, a respected rotational defensive lineman that's got some starting experience, has some scheme flexibility. We'll be diving more into those signings when we talk grades tomorrow. But, Rob, I want to look at where the Seahawks stand right now from a roster standpoint. We're going to have a chance later this week to dive even deeper into this, kind of get a – macro look at the roster where the Seahawks are at but right now I just want to talk about which positions they haven't necessarily addressed that are still the most pressing needs in free agency heading towards the draft let's start on the offensive side of the football I'm pretty sure I know where you are going to go with this because there's one very glaring positional need for the Seahawks on offense that they've been rumored with a number of players and nothing has happened up to this point but what is the one position you think Seattle still needs to make a move before they get to the draft? I'd argue there's two positions. I think that both quarterback and offensive tackle, both, both, you just look at their depth chart. I mean, it's a little bit frightening. So whether they're going to be veterans, whether it be the rookies um, in the 2022 draft class, I think those are the two positions that they're going to be focusing in on. But, you know, let's be clear. Right now, the Seahawks currently have Drew Locke and Jacob Eason as their quarterbacks. I think that there is either going to be drafting a rookie very, very high within the first 41 selections or selecting uh, you know, a player as a veteran, either signing somebody in free agency, making a trade, um, you know, something. But yeah, I, I think that we all know it's the most important position in football. And so, yeah, that, that's the position that I would focus in on as quarterback, even though I am higher on Drew Locke than some people appear to be. Uh, I still believe that with only two quarterbacks on the roster at this point, that is their obvious number one target for Seattle on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, and there are limited options now out there for them if they're wanting to go the trade route because Matt Ryan getting traded to the Colts today for a third-round pick. There were a lot of Seahawks fans on social media like, we could have paid that price, but you have to remember this is a $23 million cap hit that you would have had to pay for a soon-to-be 37-year-old quarterback. So, Considering where Seattle's at, likely going, I know he's not going to say it's a rebuild, but they're going into a rebuild. That is probably not the quarterback that the Seahawks are wanting to make a trade for and give up a day two pick to acquire. Now, you do have Baker Mayfield still out there, and there have been plenty of people debating about this. I don't know if Seattle doesn't want him. I don't know where he ends up because I look at the rest of the league landscape. You know, maybe Carolina decides to make a move there, but they don't have a lot of draft capital to flip. And this is a guy that's got an 18 plus million dollar cap hit that's all guaranteed. So Cleveland, good luck trying to move him now that you got Deshaun Watson. You might have a very expensive backup holding a clipboard on the sideline. And I know Mayfield is not going to be content with that. But I mean, if the Seahawks are not going to make a run for him, there's a few other teams that could maybe blow up their quarterback rooms by bringing him in. But I mean, there are very limited options for him. You got guys like Gardner Minshew and Tyler Huntley out there that are backups for teams that might have starter upside. And I know fans of the Pacific Northwest would love Minshew coming back after he started at Washington State. I don't know that we're going to see either one of those guys coming to Seattle, though, either. The longer this drags out, it just feels kind of like the Seahawks are saying, we like Drew Locke. Maybe we'll re-sign Geno Smith. 
but we're not going to be giving up draft picks to go get us a quarterback at this point. We will use one on a quarterback fairly early in April's draft. You know, again, maybe Geno Smith and, and Drew Locke will compete against that rookie, and then we'll see who ends up winning that battle in training camp. You mentioned tackle. To me, that is the most pressing need on offense in this roster, at least before the draft. I think they absolutely have to add at this position. They tried to get Trent Brown, who basically was in Seattle for a week and yet did not sign with them. He used him as leverage. The New England Patriots, who had him last year, he's played for them two different times. They ended up coming through with an offer that was similar to what the Seahawks were offering. So he decided, I'm going back to New England. So now the former pro bowler is not coming to Seattle. You've still got two open vacancies. Now maybe Jake Curhan is your guy at right tackle, but Stone Forsythe the only left tackle they have on the roster right now. He has 14 offensive snaps to his name. So you think they have to do something there, whether that means re-signing Dwayne Brown. Maybe you look at a veteran like Nate Solder or Eric Fisher. Brandon Shell's still out there. He's visiting with the Broncos tomorrow, but you certainly could get yourself back in the discussion there. There aren't a lot of options, though, in free agency. They're not going to be going for Toronto Armstead, who's visiting the Dolphins today. It just doesn't seem like there's a lot of options, but they've got to figure out a way to bring in a veteran, I think, before the draft. Even if you can draft a tackle at number nine overall, if they pick two tackles in this upcoming draft, those are still rookies. They're going to have to have some kind of a veteran presence at that tackle spot moving towards the draft, or this could be bad. I mean, you're going to the season right now. If they started their season next week, Stone Forsythe and Jake Curhan would be the starters at tackle. And there's a lot of upside there, but also you're talking two very raw players that don't have a lot of experience. So it feels like they absolutely have to add some veteran experience to that group, at least some guys that can compete against those young players, if not guys that can come in and start right away for them to be somewhat comfortable with their situation there. You would think so. Um, although, again, I think that this is a, a pretty talented tackle class in terms of the draft. And if this is going to be a true rebuild, then it doesn't make much sense to you know pitch millions and millions of dollars to the 30-somethings that, that are out there at this point. So I think that's going to be fascinating. You know, quickly switching to the defensive side of the ball, Corbin, to me, as we talked about on offense, offensive tackle and quarterback were clearly the, the two positions of concern. I would argue that you always need pass rushers, although I am very, very high on the sign of Uchenna Nuosu, as we talked about previously, complimenting him with Daryl Taylor on the other side. Really excited about that. But to me, the huge area of concern right now, because I do have some faith in Cody Barton at the inside linebacker position if he is asked to jump in for Bobby Wagner. I would still argue the cornerback is an area of concern. Even with the signing of Artie Burns on a one-year deal, Sidney Jones on a one-year deal, I think that you have to either explore the veteran options out there or basically just push your chips in and acknowledge the fact that of the eight draft picks that Seattle has for 2022 currently, that at least a couple of them quite possibly won earlier than anything in franchise history, at least since John Schneider and Pete Carroll have been running things, is going to be dedicated to a cornerback. There are a lot of really talented but veteran cornerbacks still on the free agent market. So again, that is the position. I would not be surprised at all if Seattle decided to go here in veteran free agency. 
And I'm going to stick with edge. And I know this is a very good edge class. And this is not stopping the Seahawks from taking a couple edge rushers in the draft. You can never have too many. But I mean, I was looking at the depth chart this morning when I was writing an article. And it's like, you've got Nwosu, you've got Daryl Taylor, you've got Alton Robinson. Who else do they have right now? They don't have any other twitchy rushers that they can put at those overhang positions, whether it's 3-4 base defense or they are in a nickel set and those two guys are rushing as stand-up defensive ends. They don't have very much depth there because you released Benson Mayo, you released Carlos Dunlap, Kerry Hyder's been released. I mean, they have made some significant changes that group. There's just not a lot of options out there, though, unless you were wanting to look at somebody like a veteran like Melvin Ingram to bring him in. He's played in a number of 3-4 defenses and was productive last year after the Steelers got him midseason. So he's a productive player that might make some sense. Uh, You've got some other guys like Jadavian Clowney, who has played for Seattle before, that I think has some scheme flexibility, has been an overhang rusher. He's played reduced inside some, has the physicality and the strength to do that. There just aren't a lot of options, though, if you are trying to add to that group. So I could see Seattle kicking the tires on some veteran guys to add some depth to that position, but they absolutely are going to need to add two or three more guys before they get to camp, whether it's through the draft, free agency, mix and match. They're going to have to add some guys. So I expect John Schneider's working the phones right now. He's looking at some players, as he is at the tackle position as well, on offense, looking at some edge rushers that can come in and contribute for this group that really needs to add some depth there because you can't have Daryl Taylor, Nuosu, and Alton Robinson as the only three at those positions that are going to be rushing the passer a lot. You're going to need another guy or two minimum that can rotate in. And based on scheme, they're going to have to be twitchy guys that have some coverage drop back ability. So they're going to have to change up a little bit the type of players they've been looking at. Just not a lot of veterans available at this point. Maybe a few guys they'll kick the tires on, but that's certainly still going to be a huge need when we get to next month's draft. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now make sure to check out the Locked On NFL Draft podcast for your second listen. Ryan Tracy and former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker bring the NFL Draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. It's free and it's available wherever you get podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and of course, streaming on YouTube five days a week. We greatly appreciate your support. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to have the latest free agent grades, taking a look at Rashad Penny's new deal as well as Quentin Jefferson. Maybe there will be a new deal by that point as well with free agency continuing to churn around the NFL. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.